Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Curious Competitor Podcast. I'm your host today, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Carrick. And today, I have fellow Devils teammate, Kyle Palmieri. This is uh, one of my favorite guests to come. He's an NHL All-Star. He's a, he's a 30-goal scorer. He's done a lot of things uh, that I hope to do. Maybe not the, the 30 goals. No one's done that, I don't think, since, uh, since Mike Green. But uh, he's a high-profile player, but he has this, this grittiness and this competitiveness to him. Uh, that I've really grown to appreciate as a teammate. And so he shares uh, his stories with that, uh, a little bit about his his upbringing, his development, and, and growing up. So uh, with no further ado, welcome Kyle Palmieri to the Curious Competitor Podcast. Let's do this. Palms, thanks for coming over. Second uh, in-person podcast I've done. Number two? Yeah, this is number two. Only Lexi and yourself, so close close friends and Second is the best. Yeah. Well, the first one was a complete gong show. Hoagie was losing his mind. So hopefully uh, Lexi's got him cooped up in the back there. Um, I knew from playing against you, just hard to play against type guy, a top six forward that... uh, you know, you've obviously had a long history of scoring. Help me with growing up as Kyle Palmieri. Like, what were some of your mentors, favorite players? Uh, and then what I'm really getting to is like, uh, the last part of this question is, what is the one habit uh, to thank for your success today for who you are as a player? Loaded question. Loaded. Um, Trying right, to get yeah. you talking for a we while. Could, we could start. That's a tough thing to do. Figure I'd go with this question or option B was a glass of red to get you going. <laughs> Also works very well. Um, yeah, start with the origin. Uh, grew up here here in Jersey. I was born on Long Island. Um, moved to Jersey when I was two or three years old. Uh, grew up on a farm in North Jersey. So had a lot of space to, to move around. Um, only one of my family to not put in time working at Tapiro's farm. Um, but that was just due to hockey and I uh, wasn't too good at bagging groceries and, and stocking shelves. So um, moved here, uh, didn't have any hockey roots in my family. Um, dad likes to claim that he played every sport under the sun, but hockey just happened to not be one of them. Um, both my sisters were gymnasts. Uh, I got signed up for gymnastics as a four-year-old. Um, I think that was a bit of a partial daycare situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, trampolines, foam pits, uh, you name it, uh, just go out there and run around and bounce around. Um, we had a family friend, uh, through gymnastics, both my sisters, uh, had a teammate, um, that we became really close with. Uh, they had a son around my age. I think he was a year older than me, uh, who was a hockey player. Um, they lived a couple towns over from us in Jersey, went over there for the first time and saw their ice rink in the backyard. Um, the dad was a big hockey player growing up, um, played college hockey. Uh, so his son was naturally getting on skates and, and getting into hockey and happened to have a, a hand-me-down pair of skates that, that fit my feet, went out there, couldn't skate worth a lick. Um, obviously I was probably five years old okay. at the time. Uh, but went home. I mean, I, I probably barely stood up out there. Um, I was a coordinated kid, but not coordinated enough, enough to, uh, to take hockey right off the bat. Um, so I told my dad, I wanted to learn how to skate. Uh, so we went, there's an old McKay ice rink in, uh, I believe it's Anglewood, uh, probably 25, 30 minutes from here, uh, went out there for public skate. my dad was learning at the same time. He had no idea what he was doing. So as, uh, he probably was in his low or mid forties at the time. And he was learning how to skate with me. Uh, probably a little more embarrassing for him than it was for me. Uh, I went out there and slid around the, the human Zamboni, uh, clearing, up, <laughs> yeah, clearing yeah. up the snow. It was an outdoor rink, so it was cold. Um, had a roof on it, but still you catch a nice drift right through. And um, that's where I learned to skate. Uh, ended up probably a year or two just learning how to skate and eventually got a hockey stick in my hand and made my way into a whatever, under six, 
house league. Um, loved it. It was might seas, I guess. I don't know if they still call them might seas back, uh, now, but a lot's changed in the 25 years it's been. Um, but yeah, I, I fell in love with the game. It was, it was everything I dreamed of and, uh, it was so much fun. And luckily enough, my, you know, my dad pretty well. He's, uh, he's a handy guy and, when I, I was shocked he didn't build you your first pair of skates, just, for, just he, he raw materials he had at home. He would have tried. Um, but a uh, couple of years after that, um, living on a farm, space was obviously there uh, and had my first backyard rink. I was probably seven or eight years old. Um, and the the advantage to having that, I, I my parents couldn't get me off the ice. Um, I was always... I always did well in farm school. work either that way. Also true. Um, always did well in school. So I got home, took care of my homework, three 30. I'd go out there. They might get me in for dinner. That was about it. But I, I just spent all my time, um, out there and it was just me for a while. Uh, my little brother, he's four years younger than me eventually came on and it was fun. Cause if you looked at where the rink was, there was a little bit of a slope on the one side after the boards. And the boards were only about eight inches high. So if you, if you put some good muscle into somebody, they go tumbling down the hill. And, um, my brother ha- was, was on the receiving end of a couple of those, uh, my dad and, and my sisters started to, to get into skating a little bit. Um, I actually don't think I've ever seen my mom on the ice. Uh, I know she had a pair of figure skates growing up, but I don't think we ever got her, uh, got her out on Never the, tripped her out there, yeah. yeah, on the, on the rink, but. Um, yeah, I, I just kind of went up through the ranks. We were playing at Sportorama, which is still standing to this day. And I don't think they've made a single improvement since the, the mid eighties. Um, I'm sure a lot of the, the local devils fans, um, who have kids in youth sports or play in adult leagues have been there a time or two. And, um, so I grew up playing, playing hockey there, played for the Rampo saints up until I was probably, um, it's probably my second year of Bantams, um, switch over to the devil's youth program. And obviously now here I am today, kind of come full circle, um, to, to be playing in the NHL for the devils. And, uh, back then when I made the switch to the devil's youth program, we played at a South mountain, which at the time was the, uh, the devil's practice rank. It was obviously before Prudential center was there. And, um, I just used to think it was so cool. I, I'd make my parents, if we kind of knew what the devil's schedule was and if they were going to be home and practicing, um, whether it be a weekend or a week during the week, I'd make my parents bring me down there an hour and a half, two hours early. And, and you get to see these guys skating around and, uh, to many devil's fans disbelief, I would actually consider myself more of a Rangers fan. Um, at that point, uh, we can edit that part out. Yeah. Don't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I don't really know why. Um, we had the old VHS of the 94 Stanley Cup run. and I was an Avs fan growing up, so it's not much better for me with Devs fans. Yeah, and I, uh, I, I fell in love with watching it, and I watched it all the time. And I guess those are the kind of the guys I looked up to, even though later on in life, as, as I went into my teenage years, I was able to watch the, the Devils practice live and and that was right in their heyday um, of, of winning Stanley Cups in the early 2000s, which to be around some of the legends like that. Um, and obviously we still see a, a couple of them floating around uh, the rink and, and you get to see them with some of the alumni stuff. But it was, it was a pretty cool opportunity as a hockey player to have access, I guess, if you want to call it that, to, uh, to see NHL players and, and how they practice and the way they carry themselves and um, that was always kind of, uh, what molded that dream for me. Yeah. That's all. I mean, that's one of the things looking back, if I could, I wish I'd watched more like the Blackhawks were on TV. It was kind of like the dark era growing up. So I, that's what it was. I would watch playoff games in 2001. I'm seven years old. The Colorado Avalanche are getting good. But I got to say like anytime my dad, I remember a couple games growing up, we'd get, uh, tickets, you know, real tight on the glass. And I, and I love going to any game I could but particularly real tight on the glass. And then the uh, Blackhawks would practice where the Chicago Steel used to play, uh, the Edge in Bensonville. And I think that anytime you can spend that type of time with the game up close, where you can really see how big these guys are, how skilled they are, like how hard their one-timers are, it's unbelievable as a young player. And it, it really fuels you when you go back and, and try and go back and practice. And I think that's why the game 
just is always getting better. It's just because the example of what's possible on TV every night, what you're, what you're trying to emulate as a young, you know, Kyle Palmieri or Connor Carrick is just getting better, uh, you know, by the year of those early years, like who were particularly some of your favorite players, guys that you would model it. Cause I want, what I'm getting at is like, you're a 30 goal scorer in the national hockey league, but you have this background from when you were originally drafted Anaheim, like you grinded, you had to, uh, find a way to make a name for yourself on the third and fourth line. So how did this blend? Was this something your dad, Bruce, like demanded of you to to be as hard checking and, and defense oriented as you are given your offensive talent? Like where did that? I, I think for sure. I, I look back and like, especially youth hockey, um, played center pretty much my whole life growing up. And and my dad has always been a hardworking guy and, and a mentor. And um, he spent years coaching me and helping with the coaching staff because when I got into hockey, he, he dove in head first. He, he loved it. Um, he ended up coaching our local high school for a couple of years. And, um, I think his entire idea of it was, was being a well-rounded player. And, um, as you grew older, uh, it's one of those things, obviously everyone wants to score goals. And I would say I had success in that, um, growing up and, and through youth hockey and, all the way up um, as I went into college and, and the pros. But um, the, the biggest thing he stressed with me was was playing an all-around game. And I wouldn't say there's a particular player that that really stuck out as far as modeling my game after. Um, obviously, my dad's 5'8". I, I knew I wasn't going to be 6'3 and burying guys yeah. and stuff like that. But um my dad's also a stocky guy. So I knew I had that, uh, in the cards for me, hopefully when I grew up and, uh, I, I just remember like, like I said, I, I hate to rub it in devil's fans face, but watching the, the 94 Stanley cup video and, and some of the names you like, you think of on that roster and uh, Mark Messier and Jeff Bukaboom, like you had just guys that like, I mean, these are big, tough, nasty guys. And, and, I kind of loved that part of the game. Um, I was a kid that once peewees hit and you can start throwing your body around, it was the, it was like a new, new game for me. Um, I I think that's something that I always enjoyed the, the competitive aspect of battling, whether it be one-on-one. Um, I think Corey Schneider can attest in practice, whether it be you in front of the net with the goalie. Um, it's just, I love the contacts. I, I always loved it. Um, and I think that's just something that I feel comfortable in that situation. And, and that's how I, I kind of wanted to build my game is, is someone who was in those hard areas and, and make, make yourself successful through that. I love it. I love it. Heinze must've loved hearing that when you were playing for him at the U S development team. Um, when you look back, you, know, you spend one year at Notre Dame, you defect, you end up, uh, you know, in the American League playing in Syracuse. What was your time in Syracuse and what lessons did you bring from, you know, your time on the bus into, you know, some of those Anaheim call-ups? I got the date here. Let me see. November 3rd was when you were recalled first from the Syracuse Crunch to go on to score against Tampa that night. I, w- I can't say I scored my NHL <laughs> debut. I was dashed two at home in Chicago in front of my friends and family, losing our team the game the, to the hometown Blackhawks. But when you look back as a, you know, young Syracuse crunch player, what were some of the, the lessons you were able to steal? Cause a lot of first round picks don't spend that much time in the, and I'm saying that you spent a lot of time there, but you, you did your time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, probably accrued over the two and a half years, 140, 150 games, somewhere in that. Um, and it was, it was a pretty unique opportunity when I, uh, signed and, and was going to the AHL. Um, at the time, the year I was at Notre Dame, Anaheim didn't have a, their own farm team. Um, so they had guys spread out. I think Iowa, um, there was a couple other teams that guys were kind of, which is now to think about are super weird, Yeah, but it was a little more common. There weren't as many AHL teams and some teams just kind of picked and choose where their players were, were playing. And um, so Syracuse, the year I, my rookie year was the first year that Anaheim had their own farm team. So I saw it as an opportunity to, they have to fill that roster. Um, so it, it gave me a chance to, to go into an AHL 
professional hockey team, um, kind of with a clean slate. Uh, I didn't have many thoughts. I, I, I guess it's not a great mentality to have, but I, I didn't see myself making, uh, the Anaheim ducks at a training camp. Um, I didn't have a great year in college, uh, but it was just one of those situations that I was going to be competing with 10, 12 other first year pros to, to, for playing time in, in Syracuse. And I look back at my, my time in the AHL and there was definitely some, some tough days. Um, but I absolutely loved it. We had, we had a great group of guys. Like I said, we had, I think 12 rookies our first year. Um, so you had a lot of guys in the same situation going through the same things, adjusting from a junior or college schedule, uh, to the pros. And I think that somewhat made it easier, uh, of a transition. Um, and as far as lighting a fire, like I said before, it's, I've, I've always wanted to compete. I've always felt like the best comes out in competition. And when you put 12 guys who all are thinking the same thing, like, Hey, there's no AHL vet that's been here for five years. That's the auto pick for the first line and second line or first pairing D. Um, it, it breeds competition and it was, we didn't have the most successful year. Um, but like I said, we had a great group of guys and, um, there's some friendships that I made that first year. You spend so much time with, with your teammates in the, in the minors, uh, a lot of guys don't have families yet or anything like that. And, and it's basically you, you go to the rink, you always have pretty much always have roommates, um, go to the rink and then you hang out with the same guys all day. Um, definitely had our, had our fun in Syracuse. Uh, I think I was 19, um, to start. So I had to wait a couple of years before I was legal drinking age, um, to, to have that kind of fun. But uh, it, it was, it was awesome. And, and we didn't have a great year our first year. Uh, but our, our second year, we kind of took a turn and, um, we ended up having a uh, coaching change basically through the whole, uh, organization. They kind of made a transition from Randy Carlisle to Bruce. Um, I want to say it was probably early December, but I just, I remember having a ton of success that second year. Um, I, I, how good's that feel? And when it, you're in the American league and you're, you know, people are starting to notice and, and you're doing the things that, you know, probably the last training camp, the last time you get sent down, they're like, you know, Hey Kyle, you need to work on a through C and all of a sudden it just start really starting to show up in your game. Yeah. And I, like you said, it, it's, it's something that obviously you, you want to be playing in the national hockey league. And, and I was having enough success that I, I was seeing guys getting called up around me and, and I didn't get called up. I want to say until the coaching change and, and Randy Carlisle made it pretty clear, uh, the things that needed to change in my game. Um, he, he was a little, uh, hesitant, uh, as far as trusting me and, and playing in situations that a hockey player and especially someone who's making the team as a third and fourth liner needs to be trusted at. Um, and it motivated me. I, I, like I said, I got off to a great start, um, but it, it definitely pisses you off a, a, a decent amount to, to see your line mates getting called up and maybe a guy that isn't having the same uh, type of weekend in, weekend out uh, success that I was having. And, um, but it, I, if anything, it, it, it just gave me more clarity um, that things needed to change in my game in order for me to become a full-time NHL player. And at the time, uh, I looked, you look at Anaheim's roster and, uh, there's two guys, Corey Perry and Tamu Solani occupying the top six right wings. And, and those aren't guys you're necessarily going to beat out. Um, but the, the bottom six was kind of there for the taking. And I never quite got my footing enough to, to make myself a full-time NHL player. And I think Bruce, uh, Boudreaux helped me a lot in, in realizing, cause he kind of went through the same scenario during his yeah. playing career. And, um, he was a resource for me, uh, to a certain extent of, of, Hey, like you'll, you're going to get your shot, but you got to make it count. And there's no one here to, to help you other than telling you what you need to do and, and what it's going to take to, to be in the NHL lineup. Cause Anaheim was a great team. Um, obviously, it, it, they weren't that far removed from the the 07 Cup, and 
Um, you had guys still there uh, from it, and they played in the big bad West. And I was a five ten. I was never a, a skinny five ten. Um, I, I was pretty big coming out of college, but they needed me to find a way to to be an impact player night in and night out. And it just took me a lot longer to to really have the clarity to to make the changes in my game. Um, so I kind of went up and down uh, the second half of that year after the coaching change. Um, and then the following year was the lockout, but uh, we made the move to, to Norfolk, which was like, I, I couldn't believe guys had spent that much time there. The, the travel was insane. Um, eight hour, 10 hour, 12 hour bus rides through the night sleeper bus. It was lockout year. So there was no roster limit in the AHL, everyone, full everyone team, was like 50 guys, there. Yeah. So I think we had something like 28 people on a 17 bed bus. And so it was, perfect. it was, uh, it was a tight squeeze in there. Uh, some big bodies that, that had to double up on bunks. Um, I wouldn't consider myself one of the bigger bodies, but still no fun sharing, <laughs> sharing a bunk, yeah. uh, especially for nine, 10, 12 hours. Um, but I, I really did love it. It, it was so much hockey. Uh, there weren't many distractions to, to be out there for you. And, um, you, you just got an opportunity to, to be able to play in situations that you might not play in up in the national hockey league. Um, I would, I mean, I don't know if they kept track, but it, playing 15, 16, 17 minutes a lot, uh, a night did a lot for me and playing in situations that I might not only I might only get one chance at um, in the National Hockey League before I got sent down or anything like that. So it, it definitely over the course of those two and a half years, it did a ton for me to to being able to develop different parts of my game. And, and a lot of it was failure. Um, you, you have to look at, there's some great times. Like I said, I, I was had a great year um, that second year, but Every time I got sent back on a, on a flight to Syracuse, it, it was failure. So the long like, flight to chew on your game. And it was, and I, I want to say that's eight, nine, probably anywhere from eight to 10 call-ups and, and sent, uh, getting sent down. And like you said, that's, that's a long flight to, to sit there and think about it. Um, but it, it's, it just makes you hungry and, and going over the course of, uh, the couple of years I spent full time in Anaheim. I knew what it was like going the other way. Um, I wasn't fortunate enough that the guys now take a hour, uh, hour car ride down to San Diego and stick their feet in the sand when yeah, they get no home. Kidding, but, yeah. Um, it, it was definitely something that, uh, is, was a huge part of my development. Yeah. I, I like when you were talking about just how tight it is at the NHL level, you know, if, if you're not going to score, you've got Timu Solani and Corey Perry on the right side. Uh, you've got to do something else. And, you know, Mike Babcock used to say in Toronto, like, if you don't score uh, the first 10, 15 games of your career, you're, you're going to have to learn how to check the rest of it. And, you know, I, I even look back to, you know, my first full year in the, with the Leafs, I had uh, gotten totally robbed within the first five games on uh, Carey Price around the second power. So we don't get a ton of minutes, right? And, and Carey Price makes his save that was on, at home, right? So Montreal, they go bananas. And uh, then the next... I want to say it was either the next game or the one after that. I hit Grice's knob. Like he's totally out to launch it. Thomas Grice I hit his knob. And then the next game I was off the power play. And I'm thinking to myself, if I had, if I had two goals in the first seven games or whatever on the power, I probably would have gotten myself another 15 game, you know, oh, yeah. you and, buy yourself uh, some time. And you know, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's not meant to be, but what, what I really appreciate about just a, a, someone as competitive as you is you don't spend a lot of time. You're not a woe was me guy. So like, how do you get through your discouragement so quick? Cause it's coming. And I guess what I think I want to pull out of, out of sort of your young pro story was you were a first round pick. You were a high end guy. A lot of players today, there's this concept of like the path of least resistance, which I get, there's a good argument for it, but you were someone that every time uh, you were going to get sent down, you were going to go into a playing time competition type scenario your relationship with discouragement, you got over it very quickly. And it led to this result of no matter how you got there was, I'm still hungry to get better. How do you, how did you get there? Is that just something that was innate for you from a young age? I think so. I mean, I, I've had those, I mean, we were all 
pretty gifted youth hockey players. Um, but there were situations where I remember being at a youth hockey tournament. It was up somewhere here in the Northeast, um, playing for the East coast selects and a totally loaded team. Uh, there's a couple first round picks and, um, a couple guys that at the time were probably talking 14 and under 16 and under that, that age group that you were like, okay, this guy's, he's going to play in the national hockey league someday without a doubt. And there were guys who had careers off that team. Um, but in youth hockey, it was my first time really being exposed to being on a team with people outside this area. Um, you had the kind of the festivals and, uh, but it was mostly you stayed within your district as far as the the guys you were playing with. And, uh, I remember it was Saturday night, uh, just got done. It was one of those youth hockey tournaments. I think we probably played four games. Um, and then you had the next day was like the round Robin to get into the, to the finals. And, uh, they, I remember them coming up to, to my dad or I wasn't there, but, um, they came up to my dad and basically said, Hey, if you want to save the night on, on like spending money on a hotel room, like Kyle's not really going to play tomorrow. My dad didn't really understand what the coach was trying to say. And he was like, we're, we're here to win this tournament and he's not going to get playing time if you guys wanted to take off. So my dad said, okay, fine. He wasn't going to spend money on a hotel yeah, room yeah. just to watch me sit on the bench in some cold rink. Um, and, and I mean, for a dad to have to explain that to his son was, was probably pretty tough, but all he had to do was explain the situation. And, and I mean, I was old enough to, to realize like, Hey, okay, this, this is how it works. Uh, you get to the highest level and, and they talk about the pyramid of, of youth hockey. And, and as you get closer and, and how things get tighter and, and harder to, to, to stay and, and be competitive at those levels. And I learned it early on and, and it, it made no difference to me, whether it was the youth prospect tournament in Boston or whatever. It, it was, it was a big deal to me and it was a summer tournament, um, of an all-star team that was put together. And basically they said, you're not good enough to be on it. So take a hike. And, and no matter what, if you're 15 years old, 16, you're like, that sucks to hear, but it's the truth. It, it, it's not going to change. Just cause you throw a fit about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we went home. Uh, those West Coast selects cut me too. I was unreserved <laughs> one year, and I still I still remember some of those. We, we had some high end players, but you know we had some uh, some guys. I still remember their name. Yeah, I know where I was at compared to them. I know where I'm at now. And exactly. Um, and, and I I look at it and like that's a lesson I learned early on that yeah I was relatively hot shit in this district, but it, it doesn't matter as you keep going on. And um, at that time, all I wanted to do was was keep getting better and keep exposing myself to hopefully get a division one scholarship one day. And that was a step back, but it, it lit a fire and, and here we are. And, and like I said, it, it doesn't change. Eventually there's always, there's always someone coming for your spot. There's always someone you have to try and compete with to, to maintain it. Um, and they talk about, especially with the NHL, getting your foot in the door is one thing, but staying there is even tougher. It's, it's true. It's, it's a, the best league in the world for a reason. Guys want to play in this league for a reason. And I, I, it's never been lost on me that the fact that one day someone's going to come knocking on the door and, and say, this guy's better than you. And that's not to say that's it, but. Yeah, you're just negotiating with death in the NHL, just trying to push it off somewhere in the, in the mid to late forties, like Chris <laughs> Chelios, as long as we can. Um, so help me understand June 26, 2015, you're traded from the Anaheim Ducks to the New Jersey Devils. And again, uh, if it wasn't covered in this first half of this podcast, you know, Kyle Palmieri growing up in the Jersey area was a big deal. Uh, but to come back, like what must that have felt like? Is that something I've never experienced? I've never. Well, wild story. Obviously, it's the only time I've been traded, but um, I was on a golf trip. There's one of us that's gotten traded <laughs> once. <laughs> I was on a golf trip in Ireland. Um and I remember, uh, the guy who I was sharing the hotel room with was, uh, Jeremy Morin. And that was, I think the 25th was the first night of the draft. So it was the first round and he was actually expecting to get traded from Chicago, I believe. Um, 
So he was up and, and refreshing the Twitter feed and all this stuff. And I was sleeping like a baby. I, not to say I was complacent in, in the year I had in Anaheim, um, struggle with some injuries and things like that. But, uh, I mean, I was less than a month removed from losing in game seven of the conference finals. And, uh, I was a young guy, had another year left on my deal. Um, and it, it came as a bit of a shock, but I was also probably the last person in the hockey world to know about it. Um, cause he kind of nudged me. We were in like the middle of nowhere, Ireland. So I had to go up, ask like the night guard for the hotel, like, Hey, I need a, uh, landline to, to call somebody. Um, got a hold of my agent, kind of filled me in. And then I was able to find Wi-Fi uh, in the hotel we were staying at down in the lobby. And, and it's probably three or four in the morning. Um, FaceTime my mom. Uh, my parents were together. It was actually my mom's birthday. Uh, and I mean, you could just see the look on their faces. Like, I think my dad, he's been surfing for probably 50 plus years. Um, so the, the trips out to California were a, a nice touch for him. Um, but the, the ability to, to come home and, and play around your family, um, I, I haven't, it, it hasn't really worn off on me. It's, it's something that I, I, to be able to go to my parents' house for a meal or, or just hear them and see them in person more than, uh, a normal guy would be able to do, uh, during the course of a season. I mean, they've had. I've gotten them season tickets every year I'm here. Um, my, my grandparents were coming to the games. Uh, it, it was just a really cool opportunity for me. And, and like we touched on earlier, um, playing for the devil's youth program and making that full circle trip back to, to being a guy that kids on the devil's youth program now um, can say like, that's, that's him. He used to play, he used to play for the same organization is a is a pretty special feeling that that definitely doesn't get lost on me. Yeah, I uh, this game you'll definitely be tested. You'll definitely meet some cool people, and you'll definitely leave with some cool stories. And that's um, no question. You know, as we continue to go through your career, so when you're looking back, I guess we're at a pivotal point as New Jersey Devils. You've been here obviously a lot longer than I have. Um, what are some lessons, I guess, from years past that you've, you've gathered and that you can channel into the direction of, you know, what'll be, it's looking like we'll have a season, um, but it's going to have no shortage. I'm sure of adversity. The schedule is going to be, you know, tight. It's going to be uh, monotonous against, you know, similar clubs, hard, hard to play against clubs. We've got a, a strong division we'll be playing against. What are some, you know, you're, you're approaching 30. So as you enter this portion of your career, like what things that you maybe knew, uh, but you really want to put into practice uh, day in, day out as a pro, like what are some things that you're trying to bring to this year in particular? I think when you look at the roster we have, um, the, the young prospects, the guys that are kind of getting their, like we said before, getting their foot in the door of the National Hockey League, it's, it's about stepping forward. Um, and I think this year, uh, there's no doubt. I don't think, I don't know how many 56 games or 52 games, whatever, uh, we end up figuring out, uh, to be the season. No one's going to go 56 and all. Um, I, I can say that with a good amount of confidence. Um, but a, as a team that, that wants to build and, and as an older guy, um, to hear about, Oh, how well this team set up for the future. It's, it's one of those things that's a little bittersweet, obviously, um, I would love to be here for it. Um, but to have people look past the present while we're here in the present, um, it is a little frustrating, but, but also like we talked about before, it, it does light a fire in, in the idea that why not get off to a good start? I, I, we saw, I think we were talking about it the other day, um, the lockout shortened season, Obviously, we have a different team than the Chicago Blackhawks that year, but look at the start they had, and then look at you get hot right off the bat. There's another game tomorrow, and yeah. you can stay hot, and you, you can keep going. You never know what can happen. Like you, there's no, there's not going to be breaks. There's no All Star breaks. There's no bye week or Olympics or anything like that. It's we're going to hit the ground running, and and you got to get off to a good start. We we saw what a bad start could do last year. Um, it, it's 
it's hard to tread water in this league. You can't, you gotta, you gotta be swimming and, and yeah, you're usually riding one momentum wave or the other. Yeah. And I think that's the big thing, uh, going into camp. Obviously we don't really know the details of, of what camp's going to be like, but you, you have to trust in the fact that you prepared yourself for this season. Um, there wasn't anybody for the most part to be there and hold your hand through this off season. And it's up to, to guys and, and being ready, um, come January 1st or December 30th, like whatever the start of training camp, it's up to guys to be ready. And, and I think you, you take a look around the room and obviously we have some guys starting to file in and, and everyone wants to get out there and compete and, and everyone's been working hard. Um, it, it's about doing it with, with the structure that we need to, um, and the amount of excitement that runs around. I mean, we haven't played a game for 10 months. So if you're not fresh and, and raring to go and, and compete the night they drop the puck on, on the season, it's, it's going to swallow you up really quickly. Um, like you said, we we're in a tough division. Um, there's a lot of pedigree with the teams that, that we're surrounded by. And the only way to do that is, is, to be successful in it is to, to rise to the occasion. And, and I'm confident we have the group that can do it. Uh, and we're just going to have to chip away. And, and like I said, just, just keep taking steps forward uh, is the biggest thing that moving into uh, the end of December here. Um, it, it's, they talk about the, the marathon and the sprint um, of a, of an NHL season. This is going to be a sprint uh, right from this, right from the starting gate. It's, it's going to be, get out there and, and get off to a good start, feel good about your game, feel good about your teammates and, and just go from there. And I think that's really the only way you can approach this long of a layoff. Um, I, I think it's pretty much out there. We're probably not going to have any, any warm up, warm up games or preseason games. And we're going to be shooting real bullets right off the bat. So it's, it's going to be exciting. And, and I think every player who has a chance of playing in this league, is is raring to go for this year. Yeah, I, I feel similar. You know, I know as a player, you know, I've had uh, some ups and downs over the last couple of years, and there's a stubborn will. Like, you don't want to be shown the door. You don't want to be uh, a part of a conversation around the future. I know it's, um, you know, how uh, fans and, and particularly, you know, how we act at the deadline, things like that. At the end of the day, we earned our position, good or bad, last year in the standings, and uh, that's how, you know, clubs like that are, are managed. But I think uh, a healthy amount of like stubborn will as an athlete is what got us here and it's not going away. And, and, you know, I'll be damned if, uh, you know, as a group, we just roll over. Like, I know we're going to have a competitive start and uh, I don't know, I'm fired up to see how it goes. Frankly, it, uh, the whole, I, I'm interested to see how the like AHL sort of baseball style goes. If, if that's what they end up deciding to do. Yeah. The, the mini series is going to be a nice, uh, you're going to see the, the old, like, like you said, in the AHL, I mean, you could have three, especially with Norfolk, we had kind of that schedule just with the travel. And so teams would come in, you'd play them for two or three games. And by night two or three, it's, you're, everyone's getting dragged into the mud. There's no, uh, there's no hiding from it. There's no dipping your toe in the water. It's going to be fun. In terms of some of your international play, I know you've, uh, you've won a world junior championship. Uh, you're a part of a second, you know, in bronze uh, in Buffalo. You're a part of the world cup. What is playing uh, for Team USA, and you've done it, of course, at the U.S. development team too. What is playing for the U.S. Uh, U.S. jersey? Sorry, uh, what does that mean to you? It's been incredibly, incredibly special. I, I think I look back, starting in in the NTDP, um, those years to be able to put that jersey on every night. It, it was it was something that I look back so fondly of, uh, there was the ups and downs, um, like any season would, but, uh, it, it was something that just the idea of, of representing your country, um, was always incredibly special to me. And, uh, I, I think it, it was, I was always a huge fan of the Olympics growing up and I mean, who, I don't think I had a chance at being an Olympian in any other sport. Um, my gymnastics career didn't take off. No, if you were wondering, uh, I think to be able to represent your country and have the whole world watching is such an incredible honor. Um, that I, I think for the most part, people you see the the hype around World Juniors every year. It, it's such an awesome representation of of 
the sport of hockey and, and the competitiveness. And, and we're fortunate enough that our sport has international play pretty much every year, um, at all different levels and, and going through some of the world junior camps. Um, I, I remember we get to stay at the, the Olympic training center there in Lake Placid when the, uh, selection camp, usually around the end of August. Um, and I was lucky enough, I think I went to three of them, one as an underager. Um, and then the two years I, I played for the team and you're around Olympic athletes and, and the pride it takes, it, it's almost unfathomable. The, the idea that they compete and they train and get one chance at it. Every four years, you, you get to go out there, represent your country. You're the best athlete in your sport and your field um, representing the United States. And, and I think that kind of wears, wears off on you. And, and the idea, like I said, we, we had the world juniors happens every year. Um, the world championships, um, obviously the world cup was a a super special moment. Um, but I, I think it's just such a cool feeling to represent your country and, and put on the USA sweater. And, uh, I, I think it's something that most people don't get the opportunity to do. Um, and like I said, being around other Olympic athletes that get the chance to do it maybe once or twice in their athletic careers, um, just goes to show you how incredibly lucky we are to, to be able to put that sweater on and, and, and go compete, whether it be in a four nations tournament in the middle of nowhere, Russia, uh, which I had was my first international tournament. Um, it just felt special playing against another country and, and representing and, um, and being able to, to do the national anthems and, and watch your flag go up. And, and it's just a really, really cool feeling to look back on. I always think it's cool to see like the different styles of play too. Like the Swedes all kind of wear their gear a certain way yeah. and the, and the Russians and the Canadians and. Yeah. Especially like, especially when you're younger and the youth hockey you're exposed to are usually people in your area. And then, I mean, we were, 17 going over to, to Russia. And I mean, the culture shock and, and it was just, it was a surreal moment to think about. Obviously we had played games as team USA leading up to the tournament. Um, but to get into international stage, it's, it's just a really cool, cool opportunity to have. And staying at that Lake Placid's pretty cool. I remember we had I, this guy, he had, uh, the man bun before it was cool. <laughs> He had like red hair. This guy was a mountain man. He was the size of this door frame. Bob Slutter. I, I don't, I, he was an uh, Olympic weightlifter and I think he had 52 salmon fillets <laughs> in like the cafeteria <laughs> behind me. Like this guy is a monster. And it, it was cool. And then uh, they had some of the kids, they were like snowboarding kids. And I remember asking, I'm like, you know, how, how do they identify, you know, these like ski, uh, skiers and snowboarders? And they're like, well, to be honest with you, the sport kind of, you know, breeds some troublemakers. So they, they make sure that they get, get their arm early. around them yeah. early and, and teach them, you know, how to, how to grow up. And it was, I thought that was so cool. I'm like, yeah. what a different array of, of people were around. Lolo Jones was there. Uh, she was doing oh, yeah. bobsledding. Uh, they had like the big track in the back. You remember? Yep. Yeah. No, they had the athleticism, like you just walk around there and you're like, you look at some of like the men and women and you're just like, that person just like is oozing athleticism. Yeah. Keep like him away just, from a hockey rink. Yeah, and then you, all, see, like, you see a couple of hockey guys and like you see like a skinny 5'8", 160 kid from wherever, Minnesota. And you're like, ah, I, don't, I don't know if we should stay in the same no. spots. It just doesn't seem right. You could have my, my yeah, lunch straight. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. When you mentioned it, I was always curious because I was in Toronto playing at the time and I was able to go to some of those uh, World Cup games and, and just be around the tournament and what was that experience like? Like, what did you, were you able to steal just from the quality of player from that style of training camp? Uh, John Tortorella was there and I just always find him interesting as a fan of hockey, as a guy that plays in the league. And one of the most intense collections of coaches I've ever been a part of. I think it was. Who was it? Torts? Torts. Heinze. Sullivan. Okay. Um, who else was out there? I mean, just those three alone is just you've met your there's almost, there's almost like a level of intensity you can only get to. And then they find like the smash through that ceiling and, and find it. And I remember one of the, one of the cool experiences was it was before any kind of hockey had started. So we had, I think 
five or six days before we had a two game series with Canada, uh, one in Columbus. And then I think the second one might've been Ottawa. And I remember Torts coming in, um, getting ready for the Canada game exhibition game. No one had played a preseason NHL game. This was like the first game action of the season. And the intensity Torts brought to that pregame speech and the idea of, I want you guys to go out there and like pretend it's the gold medal game, but without the repercussions of like go out there and just stir shit up. (laughs) And like you, like that was obviously kind of how how our roster was built on the lower end of it. Um, But I was just like, I mean, we're, we're just going right after it. And it was a mean, nasty game. And I, I could have sworn I, if I remember correctly, um, they were, they still hadn't nailed down the payments, like how they were going to do the, the financial aspects of it. And at first there was kind of something that the players were floating around. And then I remember after that game, it was probably the next morning everyone came in and they were like, we, we gotta, we gotta figure out a, a bigger share for the guys that are going through this right now. Cause it was, I mean, it was intense It's us, USA versus Canada. Uh, we were there in Columbus at our camp and full barn, um, awesome atmosphere. And it was just, it was just awesome. And that was just the lead up to the world cup. I mean, obviously the world cup itself, um, was pretty short. I want to say we were only 10, 11, 12 days. Uh, we might've spent in Toronto there, but, um, yeah, be, being able to be out on the ice and getting yourself I mean, I, I didn't play a ton in the tournament, but as far as a tune-up goes to, to be on the ice with that level of, of competition um, on a daily basis for two and a half weeks, you can't really feel more prepared heading into your season than, than what you surrounded yourself in, in that tournament. And um, it, it was a, a pretty special opportunity to, to be a part of the team. Obviously, wish there would have been a little more success for team USA, but, um, it, it was still a, a pretty awesome atmosphere and, and just an all around, just great, great experience. What were the practices like? Like I, I can't imagine Torts was just running flow drills for no, you know, we, 30 we, minutes we, of getting off. Like ba- basically what I'm getting at is I've, I've never been invited to, you know, you've been an all-star and an NHL all-star. So you're around that type of caliber of talent, but that's not in a, you know, super competitive atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be around like the best of the best that this game has to offer, I have to imagine that you were able to steal either, and they might even be things to hard to, you know, qualify with words like uh, different ways that certain guys handle pucks, certain guys, you know, uh, you know, prep for certain things. Uh, but is there anything that you took away from that tournament in particular? And it was like, I will not forget that. Like that is a part of me now. Yeah. I, I would say it would be tough to, to nail down something exactly um, to, to pick up. Uh, I, I think one of the, biggest things was 2016. So it was my going into my sixth year pro. Um, but the timing of the world cup was pretty unique in the fact that it was before the season. And so you had all these guys coming from different parts of the country, obviously playing for different NHL teams. And you kind of saw leading up to it, how guys prepared to, to be ready to go. Um, and, I mean, the amount of talent that was on the roster, like just being around those guys and seeing the little nuanced stuff that guys do after practice or go out there early and, and do is, is something that really opened my eyes to it. Um, I was fortunate enough and, and we were at the one together um, to go down to the Belfry yeah. uh, training program um, for a week there to, to lead up to camp and, it's kind of the same thing. You, you have a collection of guys and, and watching how they prepare for a season, whether it be a 12 year NHL vet or a third year vet. It, it was something that you just pick stuff up, subtle things that how they prepare to, to make sure they're ready to go come either day one of training camp or day one of the regular season. Well, it was something that was, pretty eye-opening to, to see that collection of, of guys at the world cup and how they prepared for a season and a tournament like that. You're an intense dude. You're a passionate guy. 
I know that for sure. Let's talk about the Kyle Palmer, uh, Palmieri Foundation and what the Kyle Palmieri, uh, the, the military ball, which was a blast, that uh, dessert showing you had. I don't know if I gave away any <laughs> secrets for, I know it's on pause with 2020 and all, but man, that was bananas. Um, help me understand uh, why this cause is so close to you, how you've gone about building such a massive event. Because what I compared it to as soon as we left was, you know, Lexi and I, we remember when we were getting married and you're, you're throwing a wedding and it's kind of a lot. You, you want to decide on napkins and, and food and, and you're deciding on how many people. Are, it's a big deal. We had 150 people. How many people do you have at this military ball? I think last year, last year we probably went close to 400. So you're planning a 400 person wedding annually. Yeah. Basically you and Ashley. Well, yeah, I, I I'm going to give all the credit to, to my beautiful wife and, and how hardworking she is when it comes to that. I think it's, I try and do as much as I can, but the behind the scenes work that, that she does. Um, and I obviously give her a ton of credit and, and, um, all the thanks in the world. Um, but going back, it started as, um, a ticket program. I think it was my second year here in Jersey. Um, after I signed a contract, I, I wanted to do something cause you travel around and I had played enough games in the NHL that you see different guys in the programs and, and bringing people in. And, um, and, and the thing that was most special to me, uh, was the military and, and it was a pretty easy thing to, to pick what kind of cause and what kind of direction I wanted to go in. And, um, I have a brother-in-law in the army, uh, sisters in the national guard. Uh, I, I think it's, it's something that I had a lot of exposure to it through my family. Um, but also you, you spend time even through going back to the U S national team and, um, being around, uh, the military and, and kind of how, um, there's no way you can draw a line between the two, but, um, just how special, uh, these men and women are who, who sacrifice the, the amount that they do. And, and I've seen it on the other end and, and what they put their families through. Um, I have a four-year-old niece that live, has lived in five different States in her life. And, and one being Alaska for the last year and a half, it, it was something that the sacrifice doesn't get lost on me. Um, I'm appreciative of, of all the men and women and their families and, and everything they have to give up to, to keep us safe and to protect us. And, um, it, it started as uh, a ticket program, um, where I'd bring in, uh, it was 20, 30, um, military members and, and they'd obviously get to bring uh, a family member or someone who's close to them. And, um, you, you, I got to spend time with them after the games and, and it was incredibly special. And, he heard so many stories and, and how appreciative. And, and th there were some people that had never been to a hockey game. Um, we usually used uh, veteran programs that would kind of be able to, to get everyone together and, and gather the people and get them to the game um, and, and exposed a lot of people to hockey for the first time and, and how much they loved it and how much they appreciated spending 10 minutes with me. And I'm not the most exciting guy. And, um, I, I wouldn't say uh, I'm the most chatty, um, when it comes to people I don't know. Man, um, it took me a month to get you on the podcast <laughs> begging, but I, I think you just, you kind of let your guard down and, and spend time with such incredible individuals, um, that after the first couple of years of doing that ticket program, uh, my wife came up with the idea to, to try and do something more and start fundraising, um, for different organizations that helps better these men and women's lives and their families' lives. Um, and so we tried to pick one's uh, organizations to support that maybe weren't as mainstream. Um, and going back, uh, the, the connections we made and, and finding out some of the programs that are out there. Um, and it was a visibility thing for them too. It, it, there are yeah. resources that some of these young men and women who, who get in and, and, don't really know uh, the resources and, and help that's available to them. That was something that well, using my platform to be able to, to get that information out there. Um, and it was part of the program at, at the military ball last year. Uh, we usually have uh, a couple people from those organizations come and speak. And 
um, it, it's those kind of connections that it, you, you see how these men and women, and a lot of them are former military, uh, uh, service men and women that, that start these organizations because there's gaps in how we support our military. Um, and I think working towards the ability to, to give them all the support they deserve, um, not only, but, um, but need. And, and, uh, it's funny that you mentioned the, the wedding planning. I think if you look back with the first military ball, Ashley and I's wedding, and then the military ball last year, I technically that would be three weddings in 18 months. Um, so she has, she has a special event planning bone in her body. Yeah. She's got a, um, she's got a that, bug for it that she just, uh, she does a great job and, and I think everyone enjoys them. Uh, obviously this year it's a little different. Um, we're, we're not going to be able to hold, uh, 500 people in a room, um, for the foreseeable future. So, uh, we're able to, to kind of get some merchandise together to, to help our fundraising goals and, and keep in our, uh, ability to support some of these organizations and, and the incredible work they do. How can people find some of this merchandise? Right on the website. Um, okay. kind of revamp the website to, to get ready to, uh, sell the merchandise on there. So, um, if I can figure it out, I'm not the most tech, <laughs> yeah, if I'm yeah. not, I'm not the most tech savvy guy, but, um, there's a link in the bios of both my, uh, social media, uh, accounts and, um, you can just go to kylepalmerifoundation.com. Uh, and it's, it's going to be a tough year. Um, as far as fundraising goes, obviously I know I'm very cognizant of, of what's going on in the world. Well, and you just can't replace that ball. Yeah. yeah. It was a <laughs> fucking blast. I'll put it out there. It was, uh, it, it was a ton of fun. Um, I know it's a lot of stress for, I think for John wife, Hayden's still mostly. at the buffet, <laughs> the, the dessert buffet looking for more. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, it that was such an incredible experience. It, it was cool. Um, last year, uh, we were able to open up, uh, a more affordable ticket program for, um, military men and women and their families. And you experienced it there. Um, obviously it was cool to, to spend some time and, and have a night that just really shows them in, in the light that they deserve. Um, and, and it was such a great showing and it's unfortunate it can't happen again this year, but, um, hopefully in years future, we'll, we'll be able to get it back going again. I love it. I love it. I, uh, I think I'm out of questions, man. I think we jammed. I really appreciate you coming on. I know as hockey guys, it's not exactly our culture, um, but you know, I thought you did an awesome job with I was nervous, passion still. and intensity like you do everything else, man. I, I think you competed and we'll see what the numbers do. I you tried not to curse. To, I don't think I cursed at all. I think you said shit once. Yeah. That's pretty good. Yeah, you guys could censor. You have yeah. somebody, right? Yeah, no problem. Yeah. I, was Killer, nervous. I was nervous about that too. <laughs> don't be. Don't be. That was great, man. Thank you, everyone, for joining us this week. Thank you to Kyle uh, for being so generous with your time and your story. Kyle is, he's a diesel. And our conversation, it makes me want to go out uh, and get after it. And I know I'm, uh, we did this one in in, in person, sorry, which is a skill set I'm still developing. Uh, But Kyle was, you know, he has this uh, meekness to him, this this quiet intensity, uh, where I was almost a little worried about, uh, you know, trying to, facilitate the conversation, but a a true gamer, like he showed up ready and willing to uh, provide so much value for our listener. And uh, I was confident that he would, I was just prepared to, you know, battle. Otherwise us hockey guys can be a little shy at times and and I'm going to grill him on, uh, took him a couple of weeks to commit to scheduling our podcast. So this is maybe my subtle dig. If he listens all the way to the end of this podcast about it. I also want to thank Kyle's wife, Ashley Palmieri, for being just a generally awesome friend, but more importantly, uh, for this purpose, urging Kyle to come on the Curious Competitor podcast. Uh, And for our listeners today, please continue to like, uh, subscribe, comment, uh, and leave five stars on this podcast. It really helps us continue to grow and uh, accomplish our goal, trying to impact positively uh, more and more people, more and more hockey players uh, around the world so that we can can leave this game, this jersey, uh, better than we found it. Uh, So thank you to all of our listeners, and I look forward to doing it again next week. Hey guys, it's producer Colin. I hope you enjoyed the show. I want to let you guys know about a new way you can support the Curious Competitor podcast. 
We are super proud to have launched a Patreon with access to additional content, exclusive AMAs, and loyalty merchandise. If you could spare the cost of a latte a month, it would go a long way in supporting the expenses involved with the podcast, as well as supporting the people that make it happen. If you do not currently have the means to do so, please don't feel the need to donate. We will be providing this podcast continuously and hope you can find value in these conversations. If you're interested in supporting, visit patreon.com forward slash the curious competitor or check out the link in the show notes. Any support of the podcast is greatly appreciated. And as always, we look forward to seeing you next week.